Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marsh McLennan Agency. And today we have a true cyber celebrity with us, uh, Shiraz Saeed. Shiraz, thanks for joining today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Uh, what can I say? I'm a, a longtime listener, first time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. So, so Shiraz, let's jump right into it. And, and you know, so so my question to you is, you know, how did a guy from from Long Island end up growing up to be one of the most well-known cyber underwriters in the space, you know, today? Well, well, thanks, Mark, for being uh, so kind with your words and humbling me with uh, with you with your um, accolades. But uh, I guess it's a uh, it's a interesting story, and I guess uh, it's a little bit part of my uh, destiny, I would say. So. Um, I, I grew up in Long Island and my parents, uh, fortunately owned their own business. My dad was a watch dealer for, for almost 40 years. He had his own business and, <clears throat> and ironically, the, the, the watch and luxury goods businesses is, is the business model is very similar to insurance, right? You never think that insurance is actually like, a, it's almost like a manufacturing plant, right? But we're manufacturing insurance policies, right? And then we distribute them through retailers and wholesalers around the country, right? And around the world. And, and those can be big national or international companies like Marsh, Willis, and Aon, right? Um, or they could be small, independent, local agents as well. So in the, in the world of watches for jewelry, a national would be like a, a Macy's or somebody, right? And my dad would be that local agent that had a, a niche market. So, um, Pretty much my whole life, I was working at the store, right? And while growing up and everything, you never realized, but like credit cards, retail sales, and fraud were pretty commonplace. And I was exposed to it at a, at a young age, right? And um, it, it proved well later on when getting into cyber in the early years, but we'll get there in a, in a minute. But from from there, uh, I went to college in Long Island. I went to Hofstra um, and I studied finance and that's what my degree was in. And then after I graduated college in 2003, that's sort of like when the first tech bubble had bursted, mm -hmm. right? So uh, at that time being in uh, investment banker and like, uh, and minoring computer science was probably like one of the hottest things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that's what I, I did. And then when doing computer science, I realized that this was pretty tough, right? I took a C plus plus course and, uh, it, it was very, very challenging. So I actually scrapped the, the minor in computer science and just focused on finance. Um, and after I graduated, I had difficulty finding a, a job at a corporation in either banking or finance. Um, and I ended up going back and working with my parents and I was working at the store full time. And in 2004, I realized that real estate was an up and coming thing. So I decided to become a real estate broker. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I worked for a small property management firm in Manhattan when I started. And my job was to rent the apartments that they owned and they were leasing out. So it was a pretty cool gig. And most of my customers were, you know, young people my age, 23, 24 years old. They just graduated college, got their first job, sure. but didn't have enough money to get the apartment, right? So you need mom and dad to co-sign. So it was, it was an interesting dynamic and I did pretty well. And then I parlayed that into working for another company doing real estate, but it was more like sales. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a small company uh, based out of the UK that actually was a disruptor at that time in 2005 and six in the real estate space. They were the first one to be really completely online. All of the listings were online and they provided more, I would say, streamlined service with call centers and that kind of stuff. And we weren't uh, like a typical real estate broker where you were a 1099 independent contractor. It says we were full-time employees and we had like sales reps and we had matrix and goals and everything. So for a person like me who had some raw skills in negotiation and sales from working at my parents' business, this was nice to get some um, professional sales training. And it ended up being very useful later on when we got into insurance and then particularly cyber. Uh, And I'll explain why. Um, But after that, (laughs) I realized that I wanted to go to law school now. Okay. Why? Because all of the real estate attorneys were, you know, making the same generic contract and altering it (laughs) a little bit and charging, you know, a thousand or whatever dollars for it. And I said, listen, I could take advantage of Google search engines and I could be that attorney, right? And I could do volume business and this, that, and the other. So I said, let me try to go to law school. And I applied to 14 different law schools around the tri-state area and could not get into any. I took the LSAT many times. I took prep courses. And uh, it was very frustrating and challenging for me. Um, So then I decided, let me get my MBA. That's probably more suited for me. That's probably in a better track line for me. And uh, fortunately enough, I I applied to Pace University, downtown Manhattan, um, and I got in. And and, uh, I started in 2008, uh, in September or August, right? And uh, boom, here comes October 2008, right? Market crashes, nobody's interested in watches and no, is anybody interested in in jewelry or or, uh, real estate, right? Sure. So what do I do? Well, I had saved up some money uh, in the four or five years that I had worked. Uh, and originally my, my dad's business was gonna pay for the MBA, that was put on hold. And mm-hmm. ultimately I invested all my life savings into getting the MBA, wow. all right? So instead of taking a loan or whatever, I just put it all in. Um, at the same time, I also got married and uh, in January of 2010, um, that's when I decided that I have to find my career and what I'm gonna do with my degree. And I went to a career fair at school um, and uh, there was a line for a company called Chartis of students around the corner. I'm like, who's Chartis? You know, what is that, right? And, this is the interesting part. The person I met that day, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, um, but he was a recruiter at the first company I worked at, which was Chartist, which is 
formerly known as AIG, but also as AIG, right? So after the bailout, they had changed their name to Chartist um, for the insurance operations. And that's who Chartist was. And I met with that person and I talked to him and he explained to me that they were looking for executive liability underwriters. Mm -hmm. I said, what's that? <laughs> is that, what is an executive liability underwriter? I don't know what this is, all right? So fine, I come home, all right? And my best friend my whole life, since I was six years old till now, we did elementary, high school, college, best man at his wedding, best man in mine, er everything together. Uh, still my best friend to this day. Well, guess what? He was an executive liability underwriter. How about, at that? How about that? From 2006 or something or whatever. And um, he is now a broker. At uh, He's a very successful, I would say he's more than a broker. He's a risk management consultant at, at ARC, Excess and Surplus, right? And uh, that, 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 that company is, is very close and near and dear to my heart because uh, I came to realize through Rob that there was many people from New Hyde Park that were in this business and in this space. And, uh, and I was amazed to see that, you know, friends from high school were here working in this and I never knew anything about it. Sure. Right. This big, small world of insurance and particularly executive professional lines, financial lines, insurance. Right. And I felt like, oh, my God. This is unbelievable that this opportunity has been given to me, right? I, me and Rob always wanted to work together our whole lives. And here we go. We have our chance, right? So um, I, I dove in and, and thank, you know, thank God that I, I got the job, right? Because I told you there was a line of candidates. Many people applied, right? And, and I got the job and I started as an underwriting analyst is what the entry level underwriter was. And, you know, I was handed some files the first day and said, this is how an audit works. And from there it started. Um, and at the time it was MPL and cyber was still relatively new. This is, you know, early 2010. Um, and essentially uh, one of uh, a smart broker at the time mentioned to me, this is a tough situation for us. I said, why? It's like first time seller, first time buyer, first time maker, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all three of us are first timers. Yep. And uh, so we have to all learn from each other and learn together. And, and that sort of struck a bell to me. And then what happened was about six to eight months on the job, I met with my father and I, he goes, well, what do you do? And I tried to subsequently explain, you know, what cyber insurance is, and I crashed and burned. <laughs> and all my dad said to me was, listen, if you're going to sell something, especially if it's something complex, right? Uh, the reason I say sell something is, if, for those that don't understand, underwriters for insurance carriers are essentially sales reps. Right, no different than a pharmaceutical sales rep or whatever. It's just that we also make it per se, sure. <laughs> right? Um, but we have to service it, whatever. So my dad says to me, if you're gonna sell something, you gotta make sure you know more about that product, that space, that industry than anybody you're selling it to. 
And right away, the challenge was given to me. And that's when I started my path on trying to be, in my little world, an SME. I'm not a cybersecurity expert. I'm not um, a lawyer. I'm not a forensic accountant. I'm a risk manager. And so are you, right? That's what we've been trained in, right? And we can apply our risk management skills to cyber risk to directors and officers risk, to property risk, to casualty risk, right? So it's fundamentally being a risk manager is is what I believe I am, right? And I think you are too, or in that space, right? Forget it, right? So you're on one side of the fence, I'm on the other side of the fence, but we're both there to accomplish the same goal, which is to help manage our mutual client's risk, right? So I realized that I need to focus on this. So what I decided to do was um, I needed some sort of uh, catch. And what I realized was brokers love to eat lunch and dinner. And they also love to get CE credits very easily. So what I decided to do was a CE course campaign across the country, whoever would let me in. And Essentially, what the goal was, was to get 10, 20, 30, 40, however many brokers and clients and risk managers as we could get into the room to then give them an understanding or to educate the customer, right? It, well, another thing I learned from my dad is you got to be the educator. Mm. Whether they buy it from you or not, or whether they do business with you or not, you need to demonstrate or teach them about what it is all about and why it benefits them and why it doesn't benefit them. And then by you doing that, you automatically improve your ability to get um, traction because you you helped them for real, right? Whether you made the money on it or not. Sure. And I've always prided myself on that. And I think you, would, you could vouch for me on that, right? Where whether or not, uh, the carrier I was with was going to write the business or not, I would tell you my, my fair assessment and where I thought it would be and what it would be. Right. So I prided myself on being someone that can help um, brokers and clients better understand the risk from an exposure perspective, and then also deliver on solutions to get you the policy that works at a reasonable terms plus proper risk management procedures to improve your risk structure overall. That's my goal since I like, probably like three or four years on underwriting for all this stuff in my mind. And it really started probably into um, being the product specialist or product management. Um, in that role at, at AIG, it was wonderful. I learned from a lot of great people and I experienced so much just because of the size and the scope of the Right, you could work at other places. Oh, this person has ten years' experience versus this person, right? And I'd be like, "Well, that's fine. I've seen thousands of accounts of all natures, sizes, complex, simple. While that other person might have, in that ten-year span, seen just as many or less, right? So, I um, thank IG for giving me the opportunity." And I really appreciate everything that I learned from there. But after a while, I realized that I would, I think I could do this on my own. And the way I really equate it to is almost like, like, like sports, almost like football, where you, you're the assistant coach at an amazing team, right? And you're doing great and you can be there and you can win and you can do all those things. 
or you can take that philosophy, pair it with your own, what you learned, and try to build your own program, right? And and the second place I landed after six or seven years at AMG was CG Star Co., which for most people don't realize inherently is and was formerly AIG. Sure. Right. Uh, CV Star and Co. started in 1919, and and they have their own history, and, and they actually did a campaign uh, where they set the record straight on it. Right. So I will just leave it to that. But ultimately, at Star, I was given the opportunity to be um, the the cyber product leader, and I got an opportunity to do a lot of great things. And it was a it was a wonderful company to learn and to grow um, as well because they really had entrepreneurial spirit. And they were like a, almost like a hundred-year-old startup. They had the tradition and everything of a hundred-year-old company, but they were still relatively new and modern and trying to do things from a cutting-edge perspective. So I fit right right in there like a glove, and and I thought that it was a wonderful experience. And what I learned a lot about was how to look at it from a more strategic perspective. Like when you're a line writer, you focus on your goals and everything like that. Yeah, sure. But now you look from a more strategic perspective, and you look at it more broader perspective. And you know, uh, I was one of the guilty people that would you know, sort of worry about getting market share rather than focusing on cybersecurity controls, right? Uh, a lot of times you got caught up in that in the early days of cyber, right? Mm -hmm. And But when you take a step back and you're not the line underwriter, then you think from a more strategic perspective, and that really opens up your mind frame about how this is more than just our little world of risk management. This is a global issue that uh, impacts almost every, every individual around the world. Connected to this topic, right? And that's what makes it so unique and so exciting is because someone like yourself and me are in the middle of something like this and we play a small but important role. So it makes very uh, unique nature, right? Um, so I think that's very cool. And um, I had a very good run at SAR. And like I said, really developed that program and made them somebody that I would say is a reputable market for this type of coverage, uh, besides many other types of coverage as well. Excellent company. But I received an opportunity to transition here over to Arch. Uh, and they're also a wonderful company. I'm excited about the opportunity and, and we develop and, and, and build out our cyber practice here so that we could also be a sustainable market in the future like we've had i've had in my past experiences right sustainability is is something that i've learned a lot from my previous roles um and it's an integral part about the overall um business model that we're trying to emphasize right so it's it's, it's been a great ride this far to get to this point and i know it's 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 only even more exciting going into the future right um and thinking about how we're gonna we're gonna expand and grow with the opportunities that we have. So uh, that was a pretty long-winded answer, right? Of uh, how I think you're on a lot of different points. The fact that you know you've invested in your career multiple times by going for higher education, and the fact when things perhaps didn't work out for you, you're resilient. You kept pushing forward, and you're able to break through those barriers. And you know you were able to get noticed at Chartist, and it all starts to make sense the way that you've been able to build up your career. Um, you know, kind of hearing the backdrop and the story. So thank you for sharing that all. Um, you know, I think we've already spoken about, you know, really how you got into cyber risk um, and risk management. Really what I wanted to kind of pivot to is, you know, who, who's some of your influencers? Who's really helped been, uh, um, uh, an individual that's helped um, um, shape your career or provide some, some guidance and counsel that helped you get to the point that you're at today? Uh, I think uh, there's a single focal point for that, Mark, and uh, that's, that's my dad. So, um, like I mentioned, my dad was a, a watch dealer for 40 years, but he actually had a very interesting story before that. Uh, my, my father was born in, in, in 1947, right before, uh, well, for those that don't know, uh, India was a country that was a colony of Great Britain until August 1947. 
And when my dad was born, it was March of 1947. So technically he was born in British controlled India. Uh, and he, along with my mom in her own right, they survived the great migration from India to Pakistan in 1947 when it happened. So that was the first remarkable thing I, I realized about my father, right? And then from there, he as an individual uh, was working at a, uh, at a pharmacy in Pakistan. And he was, my dad had a master's degree and everything like that. And, and they called geography, but it's like economics combined with geography. And uh, he was working there and he made friends with some sales reps at the pharmaceutical companies and was able to secure a job at a pharmaceutical company as a sales rep. And long story short, he was able to come to America in 1973. Um, and he worked with the pharmaceutical companies for many years, married my mom, came over here, had my sister, and was doing very well for himself. And then he transitioned and, uh, and he started his own business in 1980. And I was born in 1981. So for him to leave the comfortable job, salary, to try to make him and his life better, uh, by taking on the challenge of becoming a business, right? And then basically what I learned from him from that forward was uh, how to be a workaholic, right? Where, you know, work always came first, but it didn't always come first, Mark. It was interesting. It was, it's almost similar to like, uh, like in the movies and stuff where you sometimes see where the family is incorporated into the business. So basically your family functions revolve around the business. Your whole life revolves around the business. So being at the store or at the place of business was more like being at home than it was to actually be home. Right, because if you wanted to spend time with your dad, he was ready to do that. Like you just had to hang out at the office or hang out sure. at the place, right? So, sure. because of that, I was exposed to so many different types of people, so many different types of uh, negotiation situations. And the nice thing about what my father would do is, after or before or during the negotiation, he would stop and pause and show you what was happening. And sometimes the person he's negotiating with. They would talk to each other and be like, all right, this is a training exercise for, for my son. Let's discuss why we did what we did. Yeah. Right. And I'm like 15, 16 years old getting this exposure, right, which is typically only afforded to you at internships and stuff in corporate America, right, uh, or any other, you know, major corporation, not just, you know, in America, right? So that was the interesting dynamic I, I got was because he was the CEO, he was the CFO, he was the chief marketing officer, he was everything and he did it all himself designed everything so because of that i sort of have this um independent entrepreneurial spirit right and i can see the picture and i see the moving parts of the different facets of the organization that make it all come together and be something really amazing and i think that is what allows me to think strategically it gives me the ideas to think strategically and he also gave me that that base level groundwork about discipline, hard work, positive attitude, and those types of things, right? He'd always say it's it's 70% hard work and doing all the right things and 30% luck or forecasting or opportunity, whatever you want to call it, sure. right? So I say that on to uh, all the, the people that I interact with. There isn't a day that it goes by that I don't mention my father and what I've learned from him because he passed away um, a year and a half ago. And um, so to me, to my legacy is to live on his legacy, which is to help as many people as I can just get better every day. You know what I mean? Like that, that was his goal. And he helped so many other people besides myself. And that's probably the most influential thing to me is if I can help an underwriter, a broker, a risk manager, 
do something better than they could have done yesterday because I helped them out, well, then I accomplished my goal for the day. You know? And I can personally attest to that, Shiraz. You've been extremely helpful for our colleagues across the country uh, in various different ways, very helpful in our clients and explaining coverages. So, um, you know, everything certainly is uh, you practicing what you preach. Um, but before we let you go, um, I just wanted to get an idea when we're thinking about, you know, 2022 and what cyber risk really looks like. Um, given the fact that, you know, you have such a unique perspective that you've seen um, so many different risks and so many different underwriting profiles, what are your expectations for the next 12, you know, to 24 months? Sure. So, I mean, at, at the end of the day, from a, a micro level, each individual risk, individual risk and individual exposure that has to be underwritten, reviewed and, and looked at individually. But if you look from a more macro level, everybody is really concerned with rate structure, with attachment points and retention structures, right? And really controls, right? And the reason why is the term I used earlier in our conversation, sustainability. People want to maintain a level of sustainability in the marketplace. And what's really happened over the past 10 years or so is the level of frequency in the, in the, you know, in the incidents that we're seeing has surpassed the amount of expectancy that we, any of us ever had. Sure. Right. And now we're all readjusting our strategy because we've seen that we've been seeing this now, this trend. So that's why you see a lot of places readjusting the strategy and they've been readjusting the strategy for, for a little bit of time now, right? And that's to make sure that we're a large portion of us are still providing the risk transfer, you know, a year, two years, five years, 10 years from now. Um, but to me, what I think I want to focus on, what I think we should all be focusing on is really how do we become better at risk from a security and governance control perspective? My message to everyone is let's focus our efforts on that. Let us become better risks and then you know, economics will take care of itself, right? But then we get you know, the majority of the insurable pool out there at a point where we can all say they're, they're very good or excellent cybersecurity uh, maturity practices in place as organization. That's when we get that to a certain percentage that we could say a certain percentage of this, of the insurable pool out there has reached that level. That's when I think you'll see some point in some uh, flattening out of the curve and then maybe start to see a change in a different direction. Because now um, what I'd like to see is this moving more towards an engineered risk type exposure at, at a certain level. Obviously, like you and I know there's certain category, categories for this and small, medium, large. And I think that what I'm talking about is more about medium and large, sure. not necessarily about the small. Um, and you know, so I, I think in the medium to large space, that this real emphasis on controls and, and trying to get those up along with getting, you know, premium rates and retentions and attachment points at a level where we have sustainability is, is really going to be the focus in 2022. Um, so we got to take a little bit of the lumps, I guess, uh, in order to get past that and, and have a, a better future. I guess I would equate it to sort of like me, you know, investing the money in, in education, right? We got to invest the money in the controls to, to reap the fruits later on of how it's gonna make us a better organization and improve everything overall, so. So Shiraz, we've about a lot. Um, we've covered, you know, your history, uh, um, how you've gotten into space, how you've gotten so well known, some of your mentors, and really what the future predictions are. Um, we'd really like to thank you for coming on and chatting cyber.
And we hope that you come to a future episode to talk about future predictions. Well, thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. And, I, and uh, as I mentioned to you before in, in passing, I, I really envy you. I'd love to be sitting in your chair one day. I think you're doing a great job. If you ever need a guest host, let me know. Uh, but uh, really appreciate what you're doing and, and appreciating that you're giving uh, opportunity to, to tell people not only about their story and how they got to where they are, but also intertwining with the, the important topic of, of cyber risk management. So thanks, Mark. We appreciate it, too. Thanks, thanks for coming on and chatting cyber, Shiraz. My pleasure, and you have a great one.